Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Falcoholic Live episode 240. I am your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by my co-host Adnan Ikic at Say Which Way. Adnan, how are we doing tonight? Uh, doing well. We are officially in week one of the dead period. Uh, I think I think we can call it that, right? It's the, the time between the draft and training camp. So, yeah, it's uh, we're going to settle in for the long summer ahead, but uh, we are we are officially beginning it now. Yep, we are we are getting there. Uh, I try to like you know push that off, but Adnan's right. We're not going to get much more news. You know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get a Penny Hart signing drop during the show or something like that. But that's probably the most we can. Uh, the we most can expect. exciting thing we have in the next month. <laughs> exactly. But speaking of excitement, joining us tonight, Eric Robinson at underscore Eric underscore Robinson on the Twitter. Welcome back, Eric. How we doing? Well, you might be muted, bud. Hi, Eric, you're muted. I'm doing pretty well. Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) Things are are looking, uh, things are looking up for our guys right now. So it kind of feels a little good to be a Falcons fan right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's looking good. It's, it's feeling good. Uh, I'm certainly of that mind and definitely want to get Eric's takes on the draft classes. We're going to be going over today, guys. We're going to be sort of now that we've had a little bit of time to, to digest, to look over, uh, we're going to be giving our, our sort of thoughts on the draft class as a whole. We'll go over the picks. We'll talk about uh, any of the undrafted free agents that we like. It was a lot easier for me to look into those guys this year because there were only six. So mercifully only six guys to look up um, and only one. I actually had trouble finding stuff on, but yeah, it's an exciting group. Uh, it's a class that I think we all like, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into that in short order. Uh, before we do, though, guys, want to thank today's sponsor, BetOnline.ag, your number one source for all your sports betting needs, including info, stats, news, and scores. You can get the latest odds and lines for this year's NBA playoffs, or perhaps feeling overly confident in the Falcons, you can bet on Atlanta to win the NFC South right now before the rest of the league catches up to that hype train. Uh, or any other NFL team, you know, if you bet on the Saints, you're you're banished. But hey, you know, that's on you. You don't have to tell us who you bet on. So, uh, but no matter what you do, guys, bet online is always your sports information headquarters this season as they've got you covered for all your sports wagering needs, basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options, and your favorite casino and card games that you can play right from your home. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, well, let's... Eric, I I know uh, you haven't had a chance to really celebrate the Bijan pick on this program yet. So please uh, talk to us about your, your excitement uh, now that Bijan Robinson is officially an Atlanta Falcon. You know what is the reach? Uh, the kid is mid at best. It goes down on first contact. Um, I don't see the hoopla. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, none of that would matter if you had a Georgia helmet. In <laughs> he doesn't have that dog in him, you know? Yeah. By dog, I mean the DGA logo. You know, I honestly, man, you know, I'm I'm excited about this. You know, um, going into the draft, you know, I, I kind of figured it was going to come down to either Bijan and maybe one defensive stalwart. 
um, whether it's going to be Carter or Gonzalez. Um, those two just so happened to still be on the board. And they still went, you know, the route of taking B. John Robinson. And I completely understand this, this, this kid is different, man. He's special. I don't care about the position. I don't care about running back. I don't, I don't care about all that. The team obviously doesn't care about that. It's been three years in a row. They don't care about positional value guys. Like we need to go ahead and toss that term out of the window when we're talking about the Falcons. Um, I, I think they added a Christian McCaffrey, like, player to the unit and i think that's going to open things up for for everybody it's going to make life easier for ritter it's going to make life easier for for pitts for london for the offensive line um you know it's it's going to open things up for arthur smith i mean I, i'm sure you guys saw over the past few days how how uh how much arthur smith has smiled since thursday night and he smiled a lot because he knows in his mind that he has a, a special wild card in his back pocket now in B. John Robinson. And I can't wait to see what it looks like. Yeah, it, it's really exciting. It's a really exciting pick. Uh, you guys know how, how we feel about B. John Robinson on this program. I, I don't want to take full credit for the betting lines moving in his direction. You know, I think Aaron Freeman certainly had, had his fair share of work uh, put in as well. But I think we can officially say that, you know, between between locked on Falcons and this program, we were leading the charge for Bijan Robinson, and uh, we've been vindicated, Eric. So we've been vindicated. Right, right. For a while, we t- you know what we took a lot of punches along the way, but you know what it was it was worth it. It was worth it. This this kid has a chance to be special, man, and and you know he's not going to be your typical bell cow back. I think he's just going to be a chess piece, um, and he like I said, he can have a Christian McCaffrey like feel to the offense where he's getting maybe 20 touches a game, but it's not straight carries. It may be, you know, 15, 15 rushes and and five pass and five receptions and stuff like that. I, I think he's just, he's going to open up a different dimension for this offense. And I know that, you know, we take PFF with a grain of salt, but I think he was PFF's highest graded running back coming out of college in 15 years. So just think about the the names coming out of college regarding the great running backs. Uh, You know, you had Derrick Henry in Alabama. You had Leonard Fournette, who was a monster at Auburn. You had Saquon Barkley. You had McCaffrey. Uh, You know, you had Ezekiel Elliott. You had Todd Gurley. So, you know, B. John Robinson is being put in this type of company. It is a lot of pressure, but... You know, that that's that sort of comes with the territory of being a top 10 pick, of being the number eight overall pick as a running back. And, I mean, I think he was the genuine BPA. And this team, this team is following through with that plan. Like, at the very least, no matter what you think of the plan, no matter what you think of the pick, you can't say that this front, uh, this front office doesn't have a vision when it comes to when it comes to their selections, what, that they don't have a plan because they are proving that they're going to load up in free agency on on these positions that are needed, that are necessary, and then they are going best player available year in and year out. And, you know, we know that. And, you know, whether whether you like it or don't like it, you know, we've, we've lived through some regimes that have not always had a plan, that have, you know, flipped back and forth. And it is nice to have, you know, to be run by a team that does have a genuine vision. We'll see what the results are, but, you know, that's that's comforting at the very least. Yeah, I, I think and, it's. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, go ahead. Okay. And I want to add to piggyback off that, you know, that's that's a similar formula that Cincinnati followed, followed 
and you see where it got them. You know, they they pretty much use free agency to build up the defensive side of the ball, and they use the draft to add, you know, premium talent on the offensive side of the ball. And then when they got to a certain level as far as consistency and being good, they truly went BPA. You know, they went after a guy like Dax Hill last year where they didn't necessarily have to, but they, you know, that was that was a pick for towards the future. So um, I, I think is to me, I, I think it's a formula that can work. I definitely see it. You know, this is this pick here. It, it, it took it took them three years to kind of sort of get the vision, you know, as clear as possible. And and if you can't see it at this point, then you're just trying not to. But it's quite obvious what they're trying to do right now. Yeah, yeah they have a, they have a vision and a plan off the field and on the field. They have a true identity. They're going to run the ball at you every single time if they have to. And, I mean, all the great teams have that true identity where it's like you look at them and you're like, yeah, I know exactly what, like, what they're all about. I know what their philosophy is. And, you know, like I said, we haven't really had that. We haven't had that much in Falcons history over the past number of decades. But now, you know, we'll see, we'll see if it works. But this team is zagging when everyone else is zigging. And, you know, it's either not going to work or they're going to look like geniuses and geniuses that other teams start to copy and emulate because that's that's what success brings. Yeah, I like that they they have a plan. And, and quite frankly, you know, I, I if they were just if they were doing what every other team is doing, too, as long as it was coherent, I'd be happy. But I mean, I, I think there's something to the idea that like from a, a strategic standpoint, like you see all of these NFL teams sort of building to stop 11 personnel in the past and all of these things. And then you see what the Falcons are doing here, which is if you're going to try to play, you know, nickel or dime packages against us, then we're going to make your life hell. Like we're going to make things really, really difficult for you, uh, really quite bad for you. And I think it's, it's a good strategy. Uh, it allows them to, to, do a lot of what the 49ers do and just make things very difficult for opposing uh, defenses. And and the 49ers have also shown, you know, in a system where you de-emphasize receiver and you, you build a strong run game and you use a lot of play action and all these things, you don't necessarily have to depend on your quarterback being this elite passer in order to make things hum, you know, you, for, for the 11 personnel offenses, like what we've seen in Cincinnati, like what we see in, in Kansas city, you need a, an elite, passer to make those offenses run at the highest level um and the falcons don't have that right now i mean maybe there's a a slight chance that ritter could turn into that i think there's you know a a good a decent to good chance that he at least turns into like a, a solid starter but anything more than that i think is probably expecting a lot um but they they may not need that they may be able to have ritter be I, I think they may be able to have Ritter be that, that you know, I don't want to say game manager because I think he can be more than that. But I, I think Ritter doesn't have to turn it on to this super high level. Um, right. So it, I, I, I'm excited to see what they do. And look, it, it'll make things easier for Ritter too, that he doesn't necessarily have to be leaned on to, to throw the ball, you know, 40 plus times a game. And hopefully, you know, the defensive improvements to which we'll get to, uh, will will help with that as well going forward. Um, I, I don't like I don't like using that term game manager either. Yeah, because because it it feels like it's diluting the skill set of of Ritter. 
Like you're you're just you're you're limiting him. I don't want to box him in. He's a he's a to me he could he has the potential to be a quality starter in the league. Um, and and like you were saying, you know they're a team. It's going to be a run first approach, and it's going to force defenses that are playing their base nickel defense is going to force them to to possibly, you know, instead of having that corner on the field, having an extra safety or having another linebacker on the field. And if that's the case, if that's what you're adjusting to then they're just going to adjust and say, okay, you know what? Well, that linebacker is going to have to cover Bijan in the slot. That linebacker is going to have to cover Cordero in the slot or, or Janu. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be matchup centric. Um, and I, I think that's what's going to make it so much fun. The, the amount of versatility in this offense right now is so intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the the plan and speaking of the commitment to running the ball and, and that side of the offense, the Falcons also added uh, to what was arguably the weakest spot on offense at left guard with a, a big-time addition in Matthew Bergeron, who is a player that I really love, um, who, you know, for those of you that were on the last live show a week ago, you, you heard us talk about Bergeron at 44. They end up trading up to get him a little bit, um, which probably was wise considering the Saints and, and the Panthers may have been eyeing him and the Bronc or at least, and the uh the uh Cowboys at twenty six were also considering yeah. him. I honestly think he would have been a better pick than Mossy Smith for being honest. And but it, I, think uh, I, I think I read I think I read somewhere that the Bengals were interested as well. They they had yeah. their eye on him as well. So yeah. He was a lot of teams were 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 on, you know, he was on their radar. They probably saw a senior bowl tape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's an interesting pick. I, I think somehow it caught people off guard. Everyone was really focused on like Osiris Torrance, who I tried to sort of tell people was not really a great scheme fit considering his athleticism and the fact that he's, you know, more of a, a gap power guy. Um, you know, I think obviously I was a big fan of John Michael Schmitz. I'm surprised that he didn't go until so much later, but even Schmitz didn't have the athletic testing that Matthew Bergeron did. Um, so I, the Falcons clearly want to emphasize that part of their offensive line. And Bergeron's ability to play tackle is is a big plus too. Um, but yeah, Eric, what do you think about that second pick, Bergeron, uh, coming in here? You know, he is a guy that, that's played left and right tackle in his career at Syracuse. And, you know, he was instrumental in their run game uh, for the Orange. Um, and he's going to, you know, he's going to be pretty much the favorite at this point to win the left guard spot. You know, he's a, he's 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 uh six, five, close to three twenty um, powerful build, great hands, um, sturdy, athletic, great footwork, good power base when it comes to when it comes to run blocking and stuff like that. The one thing that was a knock against him was he didn't have the length on the edge and at times in pass sets, you know, you know, he had some issues, you know, you're going back to the Clemson game and I think he has some issues going one-on-one against Miles Murphy. Uh, but, you know, sliding him on the inside, a lot of analysts, a lot of scouts feel like he can be a 10 year vet. He can be a possible future all pro there. Um, and I think it's going to be a natural fit. I will admit, however, though, Cody mock would have been a better pick for me, but that's just my preference. But, that's that's where they went. They scouted their guy. They went up and got him. And, you know, like I said, he can be he's the favorite to start right now. Yeah, I I think Bergeron's better than Cody Mock, uh, but I won't really argue because I, I think a lot of people had them ranked pretty similarly. So, I mean, I, I think it's yeah. 
it's really a preference yeah. thing. I think Mock has further yeah. to go, but you know, you obviously like his upside too. Um, I do think that for Bergeron, I think his his size to play tackle helps me boost him a little bit. Whereas I think Mock really does have to move to guard. But um, either way, the Falcons are playing Bergeron at guard, so we're not really talking about tackle at this point. But maybe at some point in the future. But yeah, I know. Um, Adnan, we got we got your take on Bergeron as well. But how do you feel now? A couple days removed, you still pretty happy with the pick? Uh, no, no, I was I was very happy back then. I'm even happier now after finding out just how much the Cowboys wanted him, um, because this is one of those things where, you know, you can do as many mock drafts as you want, you can do as much analysis pre-draft as you want, but at the end of the day, nobody really knows what's on these teams' boards, uh, because we more or less only have about thirty percent of the information. Like these teams are the ones that are interviewing these players they have all the access to all of the medicals they have access to all of their coaches all of their former coaches um so bergeron he seems like he's going to have a lot of success at left guard uh at the next level we we already know his prowess in the run game and in the passing game he, he did a good job uh in the passing game uh, at the senior bowl and it's he seems like the type who will get better and better uh, as time goes along uh, because, like you guys said, he doesn't have to worry about, you know, not being long enough at tackle. He doesn't have to worry about those speed rushers. Uh, He has a very strong base, you know, throughout his entire body and especially in his lower body. That will really serve him well uh, as at the guard position. But one of my favorite things is his issues, his weaknesses uh, when it comes to guard are pretty fixable. Uh, I think hand placement, like the technique with his hands, is one of the main was one of the main knocks on him coming out of college. And the Falcons have one of the best offensive line coaches in Dwayne Ledford in the NFL, who can get his hands on him and who can work with him on you know some of those phys- fixable issues. Um, and I think the Falcons got themselves, you know a superior run run blocker uh, to now pair in an offensive line with four other, you know, very strong run blockers. Um, and, you know, they're, they are going with that identity. But at the end of the day, I think the Falcons got themselves, you know, possibly a, a starter at left guard for the next decade who can also has the versatility to, you know, step into one of the tackle positions in a pinch. But, I don't think I am happy that it sounds like they're not going to make the same mistake as with Jalen Mayfield, where they play him at right tackle throughout all of training camp. And then, Hey, week one is just coming around the corner and we're just going to stick you a left guard. I'm glad that they're going to let him work at that guard position, you know, over the entire summer and over all of training camp and over all of preseason and just have him actually be ready by week one. Yeah. I agree, and and yeah, I, you know, yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I, I believe a little tidbit here. I believe Ledford recruited Bergeron when Ledford was at Louisville, so it's kind of sort of a cool full circle thing. Um, a few years back, um, and uh, you know, also as you were saying, and and about the whole uh, Jalen Mayfield thing, I think this is the uh, the staff, the front office, kind of sort of admitting that they missed on that. 
you know, they're kind of sort of righting those wrongs a little bit. They did him um, a disservice. For as bad as Mayfield was, that was just not fair to him in the least for that entire situation. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. The, the transition for one thing, and not to mention, you know, you transitioning and then the gauntlet of defensive tackles he had to open up <laughs> against to get yeah. to the career. Yeah. Yeah. And then the back injury last year that ended his entire season. I mean, that, it's a rough two year stretch for him, um, but it's, it's sort of like they just couldn't wait anymore at that point like they needed to to get another another guy in house um and you know there's this is a gonna be a fierce battle on the interior for those depth spots uh at this point where you know Jalen Mayfield Javon Gwynn the seventh rounder who we'll get to like I mean there's a lot of guys in in that room now um so hopefully those depth guys can can be really uh actually quality guys and not just sort of you know, street, street level players. Um, and I, I think there's, there's some hope for that for sure. Uh, but moving on to the third round, we do get that edge rusher in Zach Harrison, um, who I think is pretty intriguing. I think if you look into his advanced stats a bit more like the PFF pressures and things like that, like his stats actually look better, um, in terms of a pressure rate and things like that, than the, just the raw sacks sort of imply. Um, but I'm curious, Eric, do, what do you think about the Zach Harrison pick? Uh, you know, in the third round there. Man, you know what? This is where Ryan Nielsen is going to earn his keep as a, as a developer. Um, because Zach Harrison is such a raw piece of clay and, you know, he was supposed to be next in line, you know, in, at Ohio state, when it comes to the edge rushers, you had, your, you had the Bosa's then you had Chase Young and, and Zach Harrison was supposed to be the next one. You know, he, he he didn't really hit that stride at Ohio State. There was a, 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 you know, a great deal of inconsistency there. But, man, I tell you one thing. He is one of those guys. He's definitely a get-off-the-bus type guy. Like, <laughs> when, when, those, when they arrive to the stadium and the first guys that you see get off the bus and you look at him and you're like, wow, 6'6", 275, and and that's just you know that's that's not even being able to be developed by the NFL organization yet. I think you're um, at four five forty. His arms are long as hell. Thirty like, six. Yeah, yeah. Thirty six. He has like, all of the tools you can ask for. Like it, he was born to play defensive ends. Yes, yeah. yes. And 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 I think this is a good situation for for him because his his coordinator is a guy who has built a reputation around the league and around college football as well as being a, a really, you know, quality developer. But he also has Calais Campbell next to him. And if if I'm the team, I'm putting his locker right next to Calais Campbell. Like, yeah. you pick his brain, follow him to lunch. When he goes to the weight room, you're right there. You, this is, you need to, you know, be connected to the hip of, of Calais because I think that's the perfect mentor for him. And, and you know, I think they're looking at Harrison being the heir apparent to Calais whenever Calais is ready to hang it up. But, man, there's so there's so much potential with this kid. Um, I think the one thing about him, though, and I'm pretty sure you guys saw it on film too, thinking way too much. Wait, when you're, you're a freak athlete like he is, I just need you to go. I look, I, I just need you to see that guy right there with the ball under center, go hit him. That's, that's all. I just go do that. And I think he started to do a little bit of that towards the end of last season. 
and it started to click. He did. He only had three and a half sacks, but I think he had like thirty pressures last year. Yeah, he last did. Season. The pressure numbers were good. Yeah. The finishing didn't exactly happen, yeah. but yeah, he didn't finish. But man, this is he doesn't have to come in day one and like be the guy. That's the great thing about it as well. You can sit and you can learn, and and I think this is this is where the developmental factor of Ryan Ryan Nielsen can can pay off here. Yeah, it's sort of like getting you know uh marcus davenport or peyton turner but in the third round you know <laughs> so yeah and, and and a better at a better athlete than those two for sure um <laughs> in my opinion those two guys you know they had better careers overall in terms of production production but this kid here man he can if he rounds into form i think he can honestly be a seven to eight sack a season guy and right now Right now, I think he's a he's a decent run run defender. Just right now, if you throw him on the field now, yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah. And that's yeah. I was saying it on. I recorded a show with with Charles McDonald that'll go up next week. Um, but you know, sort of like he's he's the Calais Campbell backup. He's gonna fill the same role as Calais Campbell, but he's also sort of the replacement for Ade Ogundeji. I feel like you know it seems like the writing's on the wall with all the additions there that. Ogundiji's time on the active rosters is probably coming to an end. Um, and they're looking for someone who can be a much more reliable run defender. And I think Harrison absolutely checks that box. But I'm not even sure that Harrison will be a game day active to start things off, just considering how who else is in the building. But he doesn't have to be either. You know, he can take his time to get to get ready. But man, the ceiling is sky high. Like yeah. the pressure numbers, like Normally, we judge success. We judge long-term success more so by the pressure numbers versus the raw sack numbers because a lot, a lot of luck can go into sacks. Like we remember Vic Beasley in 2016. Like I think he converted like 50% of his pressures into sacks that year, whereas Khalil Mack, who had like a sack less, converted like 24% or something, some like very smaller number than that. But it's a really good sign that he, you know, he initially beat his man. It's just he doesn't, he just needs that little bit. And that's where Ryan Nielsen can come in. And the ceiling with Harrison is a double-digit sack guy. I'm not saying he's going to get there, but I'm saying he has all of the tools to get there and to be an absolute steal. Like, I'm telling you, if this, if Harrison was... Harrison played at the University of Georgia. Can you imagine just how thrilled the fan base would be at this pick right now? Man, just get some. We need some dogs in here, but uh, we all know they filled their dog quota last year for the next ten years. Yeah. <laughs> one little, one little quirk that I saw on film. If you guys notice, a lot of his sacks are forced fumbles as well. He's 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 getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands now. Whether the defense recovers, you know, is one thing, but. I went back and looked, and I'm like, man, there's there's a lot of times where he's he's you know rounding that corner, and he's closing in on the QB, and he's not only getting a sack, but he's causing fumbles. Um, I remember there was, I believe there was a game against Maryland last year, where they were up, they were up six with less than a minute left. Um, uh, Talia Tagovailoa was in the end zone, came around the end sack boom they picked it up and and iced the game right then and there with less than a minute left um like he's that's something that's where that length comes into play he's not only getting to the quarterback but he's also 
stripping the quarterback as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely the most I think this is probably the most wait and see of of the the first four picks. Um but I think it it makes perfect sense to go this direction considering like I think if you didn't get one of the top guys at 8, you know, there were maybe some options at 44 that that could have been a little bit earlier contributors, you know, you think about if you if you went with Keon White there, but I th- I think what people need to understand I think is if you waited on offensive line instead and took the edge rusher at 44. We, I think you were going to have, unless, you know, Chandler Zavala is the guy that we always come back to, but I I think a lot of people don't know that there are some significant medicals with, with Zavala in terms of his back. Um, and you know, I, I think that's a little bit of a risky proposition long-term. And I think they were trying to get someone with more tackle flexibility and that's why they went with Bergeron. Um, but you know, I, I do think that both these guys, uh, both these like guys in terms of Zach Harrison and, and Bergeron are, are good values at where they were picked. And, and I think Bergeron will get to see a little bit earlier. Um, you know, I know everyone's talking about why didn't they go with Adebore instead of uh, Zach Harrison. And, and I think the reason for that is that Adebore and Zach Harrison are completely different prospects. So like Adebore is a guy that you're trying to figure out, is he an edge rusher or an interior guy? He He's small. You know, I think he's like 6'2". 285 you know so not weight wise small but really good athlete obviously but he doesn't have that length he's not necessarily the prototypical edge rusher so it i I think yeah yeah i i think he's more of an interior guy at the next level um and and not to not to knock him as a prospect he's a he's a really good at i mean if the falcons were to take him i would be pretty confident he can he can definitely turn into something but um these are definitely two different prospects here. And like you said, this is a waiting game. I feel a lot more comfortable with this pick because of the depth that they've added along the defensive line this entire offseason. This was a situation where they didn't address it and they went ahead and took a guy like Zach Harrison, then yeah, I'll be a little nervous. But yeah, yeah, this is definitely a good staff weight type pick. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get to some of these, uh, questions we got here some of these tips from michael scott with the ten dollars what's up michael uh welcome to the patreon as well i believe it's the same michael scott uh ten dollar tip man thank you so much it's no question just an appreciation tip for that day three draft grind from this past saturday you're welcome man i appreciate the support and the love there uh we got uh cory with the five dollars what's up cory man how you doing uh he says uh this is his benefit of hindsight draft here uh so uh, Skaronski at eight and then going with Keely Ringo at 44 tank Bigsby at 75, uh, keeping that 110 pick going with Adebuare at 110 Clark Phillips at 113. Yeah. Keep that one. That, that one. I like it. <laughs> and then going for Andre Carter and Eli Ricks with those seventh rounders. Yeah. I mean, with, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, I could see where you're trying to maximize value there with some of those guys, but yeah, I, I still honestly, like, I, I think I still like this class a little bit better but um we're, we're obviously giant Bijan homers so like i mean that you know take that take that into account with with your analysis of course but um yeah that that's sort of where we're at good luck convincing, <laughs> yeah good luck convincing us otherwise yeah and that's not your fault you know that's not anybody else's fault we're just giant Bijan homers so um and then vil vats i see your question from before the show i will uh get to that at towards the end when we sort of wrap this up because i think it'll sort of dovetail nicely with uh with where, where we're going with this discussion. But let's move on to the fourth round pick. This is my favorite, not counting Bijan. 
um, with Clark Phillips, who I think is an absolute steal at this point. Love Clark Phillips. What? What? I don't know if we ever actually talked about Clark Phillips, Eric. So I'm curious your your take on on him at this point in the draft. If Clark Phillips was six two, I think he might have been the first corner taken this year. The tape was, I mean, top two. But no. I mean, Devon Witherspoon maybe Devon Witherspoon's tape was maybe better, but that's the only guy I could say was comfortably better. Deontay Banks I mean, is pretty it, good too. I, I, the one thing about the one thing about Phillips, he's the biggest flaw, quote unquote. The biggest red flag is the size, and everyone knows that. But if you look at these throwing the tape, man, you're looking at a technician. This kid is there's. He went 113th, but there's not 112 players in the draft better than him. There's, yeah, he should have been a second round pick, and to get him in the fourth, that's tremendous value. Um, right now, um, and I tweeted it out, and I and I think you you chimed in on it as well, Kevin. Uh, Mike Hughes, Mike you see Hughes a better watch his back. Yeah, <laughs> I can I never slander why. Mike Hughes. It's not possible, but yeah, I I know that's your guy, but Mike Hughes better be looking over his shoulder, man. Clark Phillips is a crafty defender, playmaker, you know, has some of the best hands of any DB in the draft. Again, the only knock is that he's not 6'1", 6'2", but he's still able to to hold his own on the perimeter against bigger receivers, but he's going to be slotted, um, you know, inside as a nickel corner likely, and he's going to face the smaller receivers. And I think that that footwork and those those – Sharp, sharp mechanics of his. Are you guys are playing a very, uh, very intense nickel cornerback uh, competition this preseason. Man, yeah. I mean, I the thing with Phillips yes. is like he hasn't played the slot really. That's like he just played. But I honestly wouldn't rule out him being like a DJ Reed type player where he just is able to play outside despite being small. Now DJ Reed, I think, has like thirty inch arms, and Phillips has twenty nine inch arms. So like the length is slightly better for Reed, but like. He's such a technician. Like he he handled Drake London just fine. He I mean he he, he handled Jordan Addison. Like I mean I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean I, I'm not sure I'd ask him to play against Mike Evans or something, but like, you know, I mean he he hasn't had issues with the big receivers really. Um because he just with him it's all positioning, it's technique, it's it's anticipation. Um, you know, jump balls in the red zone maybe that's one spot where you you would think that that would be a more of a problem, but I mean with how the with how teams are, if the Falcons, you know, and Joe brought up a good point, like, you know, his size doesn't really mean much if you're playing heavy man coverage because you you need guys that can match up with a lot of different types of receivers, and for those those shorter, shiftier receivers, he might be the perfect matchup guy there. But, um, you know, maybe the slot too. You know, I don't know. I think one thing that nobody really mentions with Phillips that you know even shows up at at the top of the scouting report is that he is. Pretty much, he lives and breathes this. Like, he is a savant when it comes to the game. And all of the scouts, like, scouts who have watched him, who have scouted him, have raved at the fact that, you know, this is... He he spends, like, endless hours just studying and just, like, working on his technique, working on his craft. He has... It seems like he is, like... He is true. He, can, he can't do anything about his height. But it feels like... Everything else that he has control over, he is making it into a positive for himself. And, I mean, you saw it. Last year, he was a unanimous All-American. Like, to get that in the fourth round, to get a, 
what what what's the award? A Doak Walker? Is it a Doak Walker award? Or, uh, or what best is it? Cornerback or um, I know what you're talking player. about. Yeah, yeah he was a is it Bolitnikov or is that wide receiver? No, it was. It's not Bolitnikov. That's right. Yeah. I should know this. Yeah. I'm embarrassed, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It might be dope. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, he was a finalist for the best uh, secondary player in the nation award. He the has Thorpe. Well, the Thorpe, Jim Thorpe. Oh, Jim, oh, Jim Thorpe. Thorpe. That's Jim it. Thorpe. Yep, yep. Jim Thorpe award. Sorry, sorry, Jim Thorpe. A uh, legend right there. Um, but definitely, like, he has everything that you want regarding the intangibles. He has the tape. He has. You know, the the proof is there. The proof, like he he has the track record, and you're telling me that just because he's he's a bit shorter, that he's going to fail at the next level? Like, no, absolutely not. We saw Brent Grimes have a hell of an NFL career, and he was just one inch taller than him. Yeah, it's it it's not impossible. You would he would be an outlier playing the outside at that size, but I think there there is an opportunity for him to to do that. I mean, he did it in college. Um, you know, he did it against some very good receivers. You know, Drake Drake London was a guy who gave fits to pretty much everyone, and and Clark Phillips was one of the only guys that could could match up with him, despite yeah. the size disparity there. So that gives me a lot of hope. I I think, I think that Phillips is gonna be a starter by the end of the season, no question. Um, he's he's gonna he's gonna get out there. Um, and but even if he's just the the cornerback four to start the season, like having him as the first guy off your bench, he's gonna play. That's right. Like. Yeah, before. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um. So it, it's you know, even if my my son Mike Hughes still you know keeps the slot job, like, but Mike Hughes's contract, you know, it, it's guaranteed this year. It's not next year, but even then, next year it's not all that expensive. You know, Hughes could at that price if Hughes is your quarterback four, he could play outside and inside. So him being your CB four, I think is fine. He's also, piece. Like, yeah, he, exactly. Hughes so, is that, that's a great. Like, it's never bad to have depth. Like, we've seen it with this team year in and year out. Like, this team has really succumbed on the defensive end to a lack of depth. And now it seems like, you know, this defensive end rotation is one of the deepest in the league. There's no, like, outright superstar. But there are a lot of guys who can play. Uh, You know, we have more depth along the interior of of the defensive line than I can ever remember before with Grady Jarrett. Um, or excuse me, alongside Grady Jarrett. And then now you, you've built up this great like bit of cornerback depth. The only position on the defense where I'm really like concerned about the about a lack of depth is safety. And yeah. even then you you, ha- you got uh you got the seventh round rookie out of Alabama, Helams. Yeah, DeMarco Helams or whatever. DeMarco Helams. Helams, Helams. Something like that. We're going to find that out. We're going to workshop that. But yeah, Yeah. (laughs) somebody tell me if you know in the chat. I think it's Helams. Helams is a special teams contributor, but still, it's like, all right, like maybe he can be coached up a little bit to, you know, to contribute on the field. But this team, this defense is deep. This is the deepest defense from uh, strictly second and third stringers that I can remember in over a decade for this team. I also want to throw out there, Clark Phillips was the uh, Pac-12 defensive player of the year over Christian Christian Gonzalez. His tape was way better than Christian Gonzalez. Just the measurables were in Gonzalez's favor uh, by far, obviously. But this kid has game, man. And like Adnan was saying, he's a nerd. He's a football nerd. 
he studies, he watches film, he studies technique, he he looks to get better on his technique every single day. I'm telling you, man, like I said, if the kid was 6'2", he would have been a top 10 pick. He would have been the first cornerback taken this year, in my opinion. Um, yeah, he, playmaker. He was like a he early in the in the in the process. He was like a fringe first rounder. So I I mean, and I think he measured yeah. in like a, a couple inches shorter than expected, which you know teams lie about yeah. that all the time. But like, yeah. and he didn't run like he didn't run crazy fast. I mean, I think he ran like a four or five flat, which guys is still like almost seventieth percentile for corners. But he, um, plays, but he plays faster. He plays. Yeah. He plays like a guy that runs a legit four four. You throw, yeah. throw on throw on. Look at his pick six against UCLA. And watch him outrun DTR to the end zone, and you tell me whether that's a four or five or not. Yeah, well, and then you look at the ten yard and the twenty yard splits, and they're both like ninetieth percentile, basically. So that short yeah. area and middle area quickness is still elite. It's just the long speed, you know, with the shorter strides at five nine. He just doesn't have the elite long speed, but more than fast yeah. enough, and the anticipation makes up for a lot of that. Like the technique and the anticipation that buys you point one. You know, it, it, it buys you. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know, guys. I, I, think, I think this transition for him is going to be seamless. I wouldn't, I'm, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the week one starter. It really wouldn't. It wouldn't. He's that good. Well, I think, what was it on the day three? I think on the day three. three starters. That would be three yeah. starters in the draft. That's the Arthur Blank quota right there. I want three starters. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, I think they were saying in the day three press conference that like, oh yeah, the first thing he did when he got on the phone, like after the call was like, oh yeah. So what am I getting my playbook? You know, can you send that to me, please? <laughs> like doesn't even, didn't even like have a drink or anything. Just like, oh yeah, where's my playbook? You know? What does that tell you? <laughs> right. Those are the He's ready to work. Yeah, right. yeah. It, it's like this is why, like when I was reading a scouting report, that's the first thing that showed up on the scouting report that he is a savant when it comes yeah. to this game. That you know we we have come across players and we have had players on this team where you know they had all the tools, but they just didn't care. Like they did not care about the game enough. And I mean, like, sure, you don't have to. Like nobody's saying like you know you can have your own interests. But having these guys where football is their interest, like those are the guys that end up being the most successful. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are the guys that are, are in the league 10 years or 10 plus years because of their ability to sit there and soak in the game and understand it and learn it from, you know, in different variations. Like, you know, that that's pretty much that's the one green flag. That's the one trait that everyone loved about Desmond Ritter, the fact that. He, I mean, he may not have all the physical skills you want as a quarterback, but when it comes to the IQ and the mindset, like he's got it, he's polished. And and I'll say the same thing about Phillips. There's only one thing that would have made me feel a lot better about the Phillips pick. If only he had played for Georgia. That's the only thing. If he had you know? just been Can a you dog. Can yeah. a dog? Like people are like, oh, why didn't the Falcons take Keely Ringo? Clark, I – Clark Phillips is better than Keely Rico. Okay. Like no, I'm telling you right now. Come and come get me first, in three years when Clark first, Phillips is, is a better pro than Keely, Keely Rico. Keely was gone in the fourth anyway. They couldn't get him if they wanted to. I mean, I thought he might have been a target pick there in fourth round, but Yeah. Now that no, I guess I, it's a, could, maybe it's a hot take with Clark Phillips being better than Keely Ringo, but I'm not the only one who had him higher. I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say this. Phillips is the better playmaker of the two, for sure. 
with the better tape. Damn sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Ringo has the size. Yeah. He leaves that has the size. He's probably the better athlete, the better pure athlete. He probably has the higher ceiling. But right now, in terms of just playmaking ability and instincts, Phillips got that, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, but that's how many titles is Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, even Brett Jukes likes Clark Phillips, and he hates Utah. So, like, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> so we that's how I knew. Brett yeah, we mentioned yeah. Brett Jukes as soon as the pick happened. Yeah, I was like, oh man, Brett. He, he tweeted out, he's like, oh no, no, like I'm okay with this. You know, so that's then, when I knew. You know yeah. what? Guess who? Guess who gets to coach him? Yeah, arguably the best DB coach in the game. Right. So I'm I'm excited to see what happens with Phillips. I, I think he's going to force his way onto the field early. I don't think they can keep yeah. him off. So, yeah. um. So by the end of the year, he'll be starting. That's my prediction now, at, at minimum by the end of the year. So um, I, I say we go. I'll go okay. out on that one. I like it. I like the boldness for sure. Um, you know, all right, I'm going to clip that off. The middle of the year, just to keep it a, a middle. Okay, part. Adnan's middle. Adnan's like week, you know, week eight and a half. It'll be announced as the starter midway through the week, you know, before week nine starts. And then, you know, Eric That's is week one. That's a murder, but, you know, that didn't happen. So. Well, it should have happened. Yeah, it should have happened. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, Two seventh rounders, um, DeMarco Helms, we talked about a little bit. I, I do like that pick. I think it's kind of underrated. I think he was certainly a worthy day, like late day three guy. You know, athletically, not a flashy athlete, but this was a guy who led Alabama in tackles, known for his physicality. The Falcons don't really have that like enforcer safety. I think he can fill that role, and I think he'll be a good special teamer. And look, they played him at all three. They played him at both safety spots and in the slot, and even as like an overhang sort of, extra linebacker at times and you don't play that role at Alabama all over the secondary unless you're a really smart player um and I I think Helms definitely is a guy that that has roster upside without question I think right now you could pencil him in as the fourth safety um but yeah Eric haven't gotten your take on that one at all what do you think about that the Helms edition you know that he's a he's a to me he's a traditional strong safety uh six one two ten when he's when he comes downhill, he's coming with bad intentions. Um, he knows how to lay the lumber, but the one thing about him that stands out to me, and I and I, I've said it multiple times before, the further away from the line of scrimmage he is, the more nervous I get. Um, I know he's played some single high, he's played a little bit of everything, but I, that I don't know if he should do that at the next level. I you know I thought about this. What do you guys think about just adding 15 pounds and making him a will? Um, I mean, maybe. I figured that as an immediate possibility. Um, okay. they, because he is, he was a great run defender. Like, Absolutely. EFF graded him as the second best run defender on the team right after Brian Branch. He had over 100 right. tackles. Yeah. Like, right. that's his specialty. It's just he doesn't really have the quickness, you know, yeah. the ability. But at, at linebacker, his testing yeah. is is good. It's just you know the, the safety, and I think if he stays in the box, he's fine as a safety. He's just not someone you yeah. want matched up on wide receivers. But tight ends, he was good at that. You know, he's fine yeah. in zone. He's comfortable. Um, that's, you know, so that's why I oh, let's slide him, slide him down there. I wonder. It it could be and a thing. That, yeah. That yeah, that may be their plan. I mean, I think he'll be a day one special teamer for sure. Oh yeah, like, I think. I think he's making the roster like, and that's why I love it. Like, I know it's like, he's not this crazy flashy addition, but if you have a seventh rounder that you draft and you're like, he's making the roster, that's a good seventh round pick because it's not a given. 
longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's and not you, a given. And you know what? And I'm not talking about making him a will in year one. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's you a know, gradual thing. Him, yeah. Let him, yeah, let him be, let him be your backup strong in year one and let him gradually put on weight. And then by year two, year three, then he's, you know, kind of sort of ease him into that, that will spot at that point. That way you're still, you're still covering the backup strong safety spot and you can kind of sort of punt a little bit on it until next year. You may find a better option for that particular spot next year. And you say, Hey, you know what? We'll take Helms next year. We'll slide him down to the wheel. We got a true backup strong safety that we can utilize in coverage um, as well as a run defender. So I just, it just crossed my mind, but yeah, yeah. he's, He's a physical, physical guy. And like you said, I, I special teams is his thing day one as yeah. soon as he walks through the door. Yeah. I wondered if – I was thinking this during the draft too, but I wonder if if the Falcons were eyeing Sidney Brown at 75 and he ends up going just a little bit before and they, they pivot to, to Zach yeah. Harrison. So yeah, I, I do I'm wonder about sure. that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were. I know I – know, Going into the draft, though, I know that Sydney was probably a, a real option in the in the second round. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they were so happy to miss out on Bergeron, they might have pulled the trigger there with Sydney Brown. Um, so we'll see. But I, but Helms Helms brings a, a enforcer type mentality to the defense that they can use for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the last the last pick, uh, Javon Gwynn, not a guy I had scouted at all or watched at all prior to the draft. Um, the name yeah. is awesome. I love that name. Uh, it's it's really unique and cool. Uh, and you turn on the tape, and honestly, like for a seventh rounder, like he's good. Like he he, I didn't really see a lot of problems on tape. There's there's the one problem is he's under six two, barely right six one and seven eighths. I'll give him six two. Okay, so I'm gonna say six yeah. two from now on because I'm five I'm five eleven and seven eighths. I give myself six, so I'm gonna give you know prospects the same <laughs> the same boost, right? Um, yeah. But it's you know the size he's under 300 pounds too. And it's not that, you know, he was like 297. So it's like, okay, he can probably bulk up to 300. That's not a big deal, but you do wonder if, you know, he's got the short arms too. I think he has 31 and a quarter inch arms. Um, so, you know, you do wonder if, if center is his future, but he hasn't played center before. This one was a little bit more of a head scratcher for me because you look at the interior group that the Falcons have and it's, it is so crowded. Like, you know, what is his real shot of making the roster? Or maybe they just really want to get him in here and develop him as a future center guard, you know, combo guy. Like maybe he's the the next Matt Hennessy, like the, the Hennessy successor, essentially. Because um, this is the last year of Hennessy's rookie contract. So curious what you think about, about Javon Gwynn, Eric. What is, what is, what is their, their infatuation with undersized interior line? Like, they love those like hybrid center guard, like, like Ryan Newsel, Newsflash, you know. That's yeah. what their infatuation is. They yeah. they don't have to spend too much in in premium picks. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I guess I, that's this is this is their thing. I get. Yeah, I didn't really scout a whole lot about him as well, but I think he was a two year captain yeah. at South Carolina. His last two years there he, as a starter, he was a captain on that offensive line, and you know he's someone that got better over time in his career. Um, you know, I think he's probably going to be a center at the next level um and and i i mean i still i also would like to see him definitely throw on some weight but you know as a, on tape you know as a kid he he looked he definitely looked physical um yeah. within the run game able one thing i saw i did see plenty of though his ability to be able to pull and get out on the yeah. perimeter athletic for sure 
yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He showed that. He showed he checked that box for a seventh rounder. So I think that's one thing that's definitely intriguing. But just trying to figure out, man, like what is up with them and these sub three hundred interior offensive linemen that, that they don't care about that. Love. Yeah, Drew Dolman too. Uh, I guess. You know. I guess yeah. not. And it's like it's it's crazy. Like they're they're having they're gonna have a battle royale for those depth spots. I mean, you, you have to think Matt Hennessy and and Matthew Bergeron are gonna square off for left guard, and that'll be an interesting one. You know, and the loser is gonna be the primary interior backup. Um, but like behind those guys for those depth spots. We've got veteran Jonathan Harrison, long-term NFL center. Uh, Ryan Newsel, who's my guy. Love Ryan Newsel. He he was one of the best third like guys on their reserve offensive line in the preseason last year, stuck on the roster for a good part of the season. They signed Kyle Hinton right at the beginning of the offseason when he got cut. Uh, Justin Schaefer, last year's sixth-round pick. Jalen Mayfield still kicking around. And now you got Jovan Gwynn in the mix. That's six guys competing for, like, one spot, maybe. Um, so, I mean, it, it's pretty I mean, wild. Yeah. I'll I'll say this as well, man. It, are we are we heading to another training camp battle between Hennessy and Dalman? Because if we are, I'll be honest, I'm getting a little tired of it. It's been three years. <laughs> I. And it's then, a good question. The fact that they haven't been Dalman, but yeah, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll yeah, pushing narrative. I I think they're fine with Drew Dalman, and I you know I was on record saying that I thought we should probably be looking at a center over over a guard, at least initially. The fact that they passed on John Michael Schmitz, the best center in the draft, and went with a, a left guard and, and Matthew Bergeron probably tells us that they're happy with, with Dalman, that they're they're going to move forward with Dalman. And I think he showed enough flashes, they, right? That, yeah, that's fine. Unless they kick players on, on Ben Jones? Yeah, that could maybe. I'm sure they're in contact. I'm sure they've talked to him, right? Um, he may yeah, be like that yeah. late, you know, training camp guy. That's like, okay, you yeah. know, they got his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, he's they got on his... speed dial. He's on speed dial. Right. Um. Right. So, yeah, I, I sort of think that they're 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 gonna just pencil in Dalman and not worry about it. Um. That they they like Dalman. Clearly, they like Dalman. Um. It, it's pretty obvious at this point. They didn't really bring in competition. I. Oh, so boy. you sort of feel like. You know, Bergeron and Hennessy are going to duke it out at left guard. Um, and that that's, I think, nice that you're not rotating multiple guys on your offensive line, you know, throughout training camp. I think you just, if you're working with the left guards, you know, hopefully you get that sorted out sooner rather than later. But um, I do think that the battle behind le- those guys for the backup, you know, Matt Hennessy is probably your backup center. You know, he could play center. He's your primary interior backup. But those other guys, I mean, it's like you're probably going to say goodbye to at least two of the three of news Noozle, uh justin schaefer Ma- uh, Jalen mayfield and javon gwynn like two of those three guys are probably getting cut so now maybe they're practice squad guys but i mean it it's gonna be a bloodbath like i mean seriously like you're saying goodbye to multiple rookie like drafted rookies next year without question so or well this this you know training camp um so it's gonna be exciting um and like, I think it's like, look, it's sink or swim, right? Like, we're bringing in a lot of competition. Nobody's safe. You know, it's yeah, Joe. Team. Yeah, Joe, I agree. Like, you know, none of those guys necessarily inspire confidence. But we're talking about, at this point, you know, the, like, 8th, ninth, 10th offensive lineman you're keeping, not, like, your starter. So, you know, maybe maybe you're hoping some of those guys pan out as, like, reserves. But my man Newsflash, okay, I'm saying it right now. Ryan Newsel is making this roster, okay? I love Ryan Newsel. I, I could never slander that man. He's my he's my new offensive line son. 
because um, Matthew Bergeron's too obvious. I can't like I, you can't just go stand the second round rookie. That's that's just that's not fun. You know, it's I love I love Matthew Bergeron. That's just lazy. That's lazy takes. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the draft class. Um, maybe we get to a couple. You know, any UDFA's that stood out to either of you guys? We haven't talked about them at all. Um, I I did do a deep dive, and by that I mean you know I wrote a paragraph on each of them, which is a deep dive for UDFA's. So what do, what do you guys think? Yeah. I did not do a deep dive, but there was one that really did stand out to me, and that was uh, the wide receiver out of uh, I think it was. Justin Marshall. Yeah, the Buffalo the guy. Yeah. Buffalo. Yeah, just because uh he has the he's what six six. He ran a four four. It's not, it's not that big. Yeah. Oh, is he? Let, is let he, me pull up his RAS. Uh oh, sorry, six, sorry. Yeah, six one and six eight. Yes. Six two two oh five. Yeah, yeah. Well, his uh his school <laughs> profile had him at six three, so you know, we can yeah. take that one grain of salt. But they're all uh, fast guy, he uh Nine touchdowns last year. I think he will, he will compete for this for one of those last wide receiver spots. Um, he'll be in that great wide receiver competition that we get every single year. Um, he'll probably, you know, maybe Penny Hart will probably be in it too, a Georgia State legend. That'll be the guy that I stand for sure. If uh, if that signing does finally get completed, as the rumors are swirling today, but yeah, Justin Marshall is. Is definitely one I'm keeping an eye out on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, you got any uh, undrafted free agent takes? You know, I mean, Marshall <laughs> definitely is one that stands out. You know, he he definitely does you know intrigue because of his his uh, deep ball ability. Um, linebacker Mike Jones out of LSU is another guy that kind of sort of stands out yeah. a little bit. Uh, someone that was never really able to hit his stride at Clemson and LSU, but fits that athletic profile that you want a guy that can be able to get from sideline to sideline um aggressive another aggressive defender um able to lay the wood a little bit get behind his pads um again the one thing about him is he's inconsistency and injuries yeah that's that's what sort of robbed his collegiate career but he has the athletic profile that you you kind of sort of would like on your roster so that's another guy we'll keep an eye on very interesting but also weird to see just a six-man UDFA class. Yeah, the smallest we've year. seen in what, like seven years or more? Probably, yeah. I'm so used to seeing a 30-man class. Yeah, 2021, shout out. Yeah. Only seeing six guys, like, wait, that's it? That's all we're adding? Like, okay, all right. So Yeah. Let me uh, shout out this guy who I just – Xavier Malone from Henderson State. He was the one that was not reported before the official signings came out. I have no mm-hmm. idea where Henderson State is. Uh, interestingly, Henderson State played against Oklahoma Baptist, which is where uh, another UDFA they had, uh, Keelan Harris or Kylon Harris, however you pronounce that, mm-hmm. played. So Xavier Malone, uh, he is 5'7 and a half and 182. So we'll start there, right? Small. Um, he officially timed at 4'36, but apparently has been hand timed in the mid to low four twos, uh, jump 10 foot five in the broad. Um, so, you know, obviously impressive there, but, um, let me read off his stats cause they're comical. Uh, he caught 67 passes for 1,382 yards. That's almost 20 yards per catch and 15 touchdowns. <laughs> and if you put on his tape, it's just hilarious. Like he just—he's just so obviously better than every single other person in Division Two. Like he just—it's—it's it's hilarious. And like 
he's just breaking tackles. Like, every time he catches the ball, he's breaking tackles. And that's like, I mean, it's D2 competition. Don't get me wrong. But, like, guys in D2 can still tackle. It's just the athleticism isn't there. So, it... I think I think there's something there. Um, if they're looking for no, we, a speed guy, we were talking about Andre Yosevis during the entire yeah. seventh round of the draft, or all, during all of day three, as needing that, you know, that specialized wide receiver who can take the top off the defense. Now that Demir Bird isn't there anymore, so I mean, yeah, maybe maybe this is the guy. And the best part about him is, um, I think he's doing an interview with Evan. Yeah, for, yeah, for Evan his, already I, interviewed him yesterday, I think, or, yeah. or something. So. Yeah, we're, maybe we'll get him on the show, guys. Um, however, that seems to have been the kiss of death for most of the people that we interview, unfortunately. <laughs> we won't mention that. We won't mention yeah, that. Yeah, we won't much. mention that. That's later. Um, that's I'm sure it's just a coincidence. But, uh, <laughs> but um, well, hey, David Anenny, he didn't originally get to the Falcons, and then he did uh, get here later, you know, after the show. Because uh, before, you know, he didn't get drafted by Atlanta, then ended up signing here, you know, during the season. So... Shout out to David and any uh, excited to see him in training camp, but um, yeah, I three wide receivers they brought in. Um, I, I do think Justin Marshall obviously sort of more fits the Arthur Smith archetype, but if you think about it, they have some big guys already, right? They've got, they got Matt Collins, they got Drake London, they got Kadero Hodge, all those bigger bodied receivers. And then they have Scotty Miller. And then there's for the fifth guy, uh, Brandon Brass says it's in Arkansas, Henderson state. Thank you. Um, but, like, you know, if they want another speed guy, maybe they lean more in the Malone direction. It's not like Marshall's slow. I think he ran a four four eight, which is pretty good, obviously, um, especially at that size. But uh, I, I go look at my article, guys. It's on the Falcoholic. It's called Get to Know Atlanta's UDFA Class. I put his highlight, a link to his highlights in there. It, just for, if you want to laugh um, at, at, you know, just for that. It, it's, it's fun uh, to just watch this man dunk on every single p- person he played against in Division Two. Um, yeah, before we, uh, wrap up, let me get to, to Ville Vat's question. This will be a good way to end the show, uh, with the $5, Ville. Thank you so much, man. Said, interested to hear you guys take on the Falcons ceiling this year. I see a similar ceiling to the 2016 Cowboys who had that impressive regular season, but their lack of playoff experience ended up being their downfall. Obviously love to see us win the Super Bowl, but I want to be realistic yeah, um, Adnan, go to you first. What do you sort of see? You know, obviously it's still really early in the process. We do have now the drafted free agency behind us, but going into the summer, where where are you sort of at with your your ceiling for this team? Uh, as of right now, given and this is taking into account the fact that the team is supposed to have quote unquote an easier schedule. I think based off last year's one percentage, it may be the easiest in the NFL. I haven't double checked that. Um, given the fact that they are in the most piss poor division in the NFL, I I think the ceiling for this team is I want to say eleven or twelve wins. Like if everything like just hits right, um, if you know Bijan Robinson is the rookie of the year, if you know this offensive line continues doing what they did last year, if Desmond Ritter you know takes a step and you know, is much better than what we saw from Marcus Mariota last year because this team wasn't really that far off getting nine or 10 wins last season, like at all. And that's with, you know, with Mariota kind of holding the offensive back and with the defense being much worse than what it should be this year. Um, I I think I'm going to predict, like, going into the season. We'll, we'll see what happens. 
right now uh, uh, I'd be pretty firm on my prediction of about 10 wins in an NFC South title. And I know spring hope is eternal. Um, but I genuinely think that this team will take a leap next year. And, you know, depending on how Desmond Ritter plays, he's the wild card in all of this. This team could make some noise in the playoffs too. Yeah, yeah. Eric, where are you sort of – what do you think about the ceiling of this team going into 2023? Um, I agree with Adam. I think the ceiling right now, you know, if, if this was – given the fact that they do have a much easier schedule than last year, um, you know, you you got you got an offensive line that's pretty much intact. You got a guy like Desmond Ritter who is going to have a second offseason within the system, um, you know, getting Kyle Pitts back healthy as well. I, I think the ceiling is 12 wins. Um, I I predicted seven wins last year, and they ended up going seven to ten. And and I think this year, right now, I, I think they're a ten win team right now um, yeah. on paper. They're, if they were if they were you know to if the season were to start next week, I, I think they're ten and seventeen right now. But the ceiling is twelve. I think you know accounting for like I said, accounting for the schedule. You know they stay relatively injury free. Bijan is Bijan. Ritter has, you know, a very uh, smooth transition. You know, I, I think I definitely think they're a team um, that can get the double digit wins. They they were like Adnan said, they were not that far away, man. And given what they added this offseason, I mean, you're talking about 17 free agents and then, you know, this draft class. You mean to tell me the addition of the Bud Dupree and Calais and, and too. these aren't just like, you know, run-of-the-mill depth guys like you got right. the best safety in right. free agency. you right. got yeah. a legitimate starter a defensive tackle you got Calais Campbell who right. half the league was bidding for right Add, yeah. put all that together and then you know you add Bijan and then um you know you add a guy like Janu Smith that can't equate to three extra wins from last year I I find that hard to believe like that's I think that's definitely three games worth of work, three three game, you know, three wins right there that they've added just because of that. Um, so we'll we'll see how it goes, but I, I definitely think this is a playoff team this year. And you look at just in the division, like are the Saints really beating this Falcons team twice this year? <laughs> God, I hope not. This team should sweep Tampa, right? Like, that that offensive line is a big yeah. problem, and to, like as much as I like Cody Mock, like you like Cody Mock, like you know, I think Cody Mock is is someone who's probably going to struggle as a rookie just because he's switching positions and he's having to come up from D two, and like they're they're putting Luke Gottecki, who was one of their worst stars last year, at right tackle. They literally didn't bring in anybody yeah, I, else. So I mean, the defense is still going to be good, though. The defense they're, is still going to be good. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're going to have that in their back pocket. Um, not only that, Adam, but the NFC as a whole, like. Well, this this conference is not what it was in 2016. Right. The, the, <laughs> yeah. NFC, the NFC North, everyone wants to call that you know the NFC South as you know, uh, I guess a lackluster division. But there's no true proven winner in the NFC North, in my opinion. That's going to be a bloodbath as well. There's probably going to be yeah. one team that makes it out of there. So also, I was looking at some of the teams on the schedule, and um, the top five drafted quarterbacks. Yes, draft are all on Atlanta's schedule. Yes, uh, yes. they will face, and, and you know these are all really good prospects. Like you know, we yeah. really like Bryce Young. We really like C.J. Stroud. We don't think that they'll be you know game changers, amazing players in year one. 
What like, it's an advantage facing a rookie quarterback. What yeah. if Ritter plays well against all of them and goes undefeated? Ritter, Ritter looks better than Bryce Young this year, and the internet, you know, melts what down. If? Oh, that would be that would be that would be a best case scenario That'd for among the Yo, my my chest would be sticking out. I'm be like, yeah, see there. What if? What and if the Falcons he didn't have to trade all those picks to move up for for Ritter? <laughs> yeah, Great. and it's what like if? you know, long term, it's still you know whatever. But it would just be funny just for the takes. It would be hilarious yeah. if he were to beat all four of them and go undefeated and play well. Yeah, you will face C.J. Stroud. You'll face Bryce Young twice. You'll face yep. Anthony Richardson. Uh, yep. I. I'm pretty sure Hooker won't play. I think I think the Lions yeah. are set with Jared Goff. Uh, I don't know. I'm. I don't think Levis will likely be the starter for Tennessee, but Will Levis is right there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like you are, the schedule is very favorable this year, and going into last year, the schedule was very difficult. That's why I predicted five wins for him last year, and they exceeded that expectation. Don't they? Um, have, don't they have Washington on the schedule as well? They have Sam Howell, Washington Sam at home. Howell. Yep. Like this, this isn't a murderer's row. This isn't a gauntlet. And yeah, the NFC is just how, like, how is there this this much of a discrepancy? Like, I don't know how this happened. Yeah. But I, mean, I guess that's what happens when you know, and they in the AFC they hit on all those amazing quarterbacks, and yeah. you know, those teams were really bad you know, in really good years for them to, you know, get a Trevor Lawrence, number one, to get a Joe Burrow, number one, to get mm-hmm. a, you know, a Justin Herbert in the top five, you know, right. the Chiefs, you know, did what they did and the Bills did what they did. But, yeah. you know, I could make an argument that the top five quarterbacks in the NFL all reside in the, in the AFC. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, you never really know. Like strength of schedule is like inherently flawed, right? Because it's based on last year's yeah. schedule and you never really know how it's going to shake out. But on paper, you know, it's certainly favorable for, for the Falcons. And it's all we can know. talk about right now. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, like, come on, guys. Like, I can't predict. I can't predict how these teams are going to do, right? Some are going to be better than expected. Some are going to be worse, right? So um, it's, you know, I do think like 10, 10 and 7 should be the expectation that they go 10 mm-hmm. and 7 and, and and at least compete for the NFC South. Um till the very end you know right. i think i think 10 and 7 probably wins this division <laughs> but um i do think like you know 12 13 wins not likely but look it's possible i mean freaking look at the look at the minnesota vikings they went 13 and 4 with a negative point differential Calais thinks this is a 13 win team and he made that statement before they took uh, on, honestly yeah. they owe it to us to win like 12 or 13 yeah, they, games we, we need the, the positive regression year. Yeah. yeah, like they owe it to us to just have that like type of year where even if it's a fake 13 one year like the 2010 season was, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still want to like I still deserve to experience that as it's right. happening. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's like you know people are like oh 13 wins is ridiculous. Nothing's ridiculous the when you have the Vikings going 13 and four with a negative point differential. That's still one of the most hilarious things yeah. that I've ever seen. You, you say it's ridiculous. They could have won 12 <laughs> games last year. We've been real. We've yeah. been honest. Yeah. They could. I mean, won we could have been the Vikings. We could have been the Vikings and just won all those right. one score games. Like it, it could happen. Just, so it's not yep. ridiculous. It's just funny. It's just funny. Then we yeah. wouldn't have Bijan. Yeah. Yeah. No. For the record, right. I, I think you know maybe this was the maybe this was better. Uh, in the long run, but let's just win week one 
and get a, and get that like you know oh we finally have a winning record for the first time since 2018 you know like yeah let's just take care of that let's take care of that to start and then we'll go from there uh that that's my goal but guys great discussion as always really appreciate your time eric guys he is at eric under underscore eric underscore robinson he's at espn falcoholic alumnus as well eric anything you're working on espn eric yeah you should change your handle to that that's a good one yeah (laughs) anything anything you want to plug though for real uh nah man i I just want to i just want to commend you guys man for for keeping keeping this show exactly where it is where it needs to be and 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 the um you know crossing over to the believe network and and congratulate still another congratulations to you kevin for that and um yeah you guys are you guys are working your ass off man and it's paying off for sure Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that, man, for sure. Uh, we also have Anna Nikic joining us at Say Which Way. Uh, Don, anything you're working on you want to let the people know about? Uh, just as always, I'm going to plug the uh, the site. We'll be doing our positional uh, reviews post-draft, so those will be going out soon. Uh, just, you know, tracking all of these meetings, all of these potential signings, you know, what the what the roster may shake out to be like. Um, yeah, just because it's a dead period doesn't mean that uh, we don't have anything going yet over at the Falcolic. It's a 365-day-a-year league, and we're a 365-day-a-year site. Yep. We had content coming during COVID year, okay? Like, pr- every day, we still had articles. We had literally nothing for, for months, and we well, still... We, I got, had, we, had, we had Evan simming a Madden league. Yes, we did. It was great. Writing. We were ready. We were ready yeah. to make that the, the coverage if there, wasn't a, if there wasn't a season. So we were ready. Oh, yeah we did <laughs> yeah wow. thank god we didn't have to, to deal with that but <laughs> <laughs> you know we would have made it work but it, it you know let's let's just count our blessings on that one for sure uh but guys really appreciate everyone for hanging out with us tonight i'm kevin knight at falcoholic kevin uh like subscribe if you haven't done so already leave us that five-star review on your podcast platform of choice uh this will be the last live show for a couple weeks we'll be back uh, next week, I'm on vacation. We'll be back on the 17th for the next live show. Uh, and I believe we'll be having Brett Jukes joining us on the 24th, uh, if, if all goes well, um, for that live show. Uh, but don't you worry. I'll be leaving uh, next week. But there will be podcast episodes that I've pre-recorded coming out uh, literally all week. Uh, we'll have one on Monday. We'll have one on Friday. Then we'll have one next Monday as well. So you'll, you'll have plenty of content. Um, it just won't be live. But... Uh, I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. Uh, we're going to have lots of takes on the draft class uh, from Charles McDonald, from Daniel Flick, from Aaron Freeman. Also be having a, a roster projection coming out as well. So plenty of stuff to tide you over as we transition to this dead period. But don't you worry, we'll have you covered for anything that does happen. And of course, we'll we'll find interesting things to talk about in the meantime. But uh, settle in, guys, uh, for, for some rest and relaxation as we uh, go into the summer here. And get prepped for training camp, which is, you know, one more month and then training camp will be right around the corner. So thanks so much again. Yeah, yeah. Exciting stuff. Exciting as stuff. So, uh, guys, really appreciate you once again. We'll see you next time on the Falcoholic Live. This show is presented, of course, by Bet Online. Thanks so much for their support. Have a great night, folks. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.